So there's sort of three different pathways um, and all of them viable, all with a lot of um, potential to earn a, you know, a, a, a good, good living, um, build a career um, and involve yourself in some pretty cool projects. Did you know that construction and technology are super connected? Capital Technology University offers undergraduate and advanced degrees to help you succeed in the growing field of construction, one that with every passing day demands that we be tech savvy. Thank you so much to Capital Technology University for sponsoring this video. Hey y'all, you're watching the Build Your Path podcast. I am your host, Emma Shirey, and I am here today with Nick Redding. Nick, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I am the president and CEO of Preservation Maryland, which is the statewide historic preservation nonprofit for uh, the state of Maryland. Um, and we also have the good fortune of running a national program called the Campaign for Historic Trades that is focused on helping build careers and pathways into uh, the field of historic trades. Um, so, oh, sorry. No, what you're is, fine. What is the field of historic trades? Right. So we define historic trades as anything that is used or any trade, I should say, that is um, responsible or part of restoring a historic structure. Um, so a lot of people will think of historic trades and they might think of like Colonial Williamsburg or something like that. And those are very cool and unique uh, and important. And there are even some at places like that that involve in the historic trades. But we're talking about things like uh, preservation carpentry, um, historic roofing, historic masonry, um, the skills and tools necessary to maintain, rehabilitate, restore a historic structure. Very cool. I think um, so what so did you get into this because you love history or did you get into this because you love construction or both? Like, how did that work? I got into this because I love history. Um, it was not, it didn't come about from construction. I like historic buildings and like historic places. And um, one of the things about historic places um, that is really challenging, particularly in the United States and, and everywhere for that matter, is finding people capable of restoring historic structures. So finding people that are able to actually do the hands-on work that's necessary to maintain a historic building, um, just like everywhere else in every other trade, um, you know, we have a big challenge in finding those individuals. Um, and in, particularly in historic trades, um, because some of the skill sets aren't necessary for modern construction, um, they're not as um, commercially available. Um, you know, for example, restoring a historic wood window, um, you know, is not something that's being taught a lot um, yeah. because most of the windows and most of the glazing that's going in nowadays is, you know, either aluminum or or it's plastic or something like that. Um, and so finding someone, if you have a historic home, just finding someone to maintain your wood window, whether your historic home is some phenomenally historic, important place, or just, you know, a bungalow uh, in the Midwest um, that has wood windows that you don't want to rip out because uh, they're charming and there's a whole bunch of other reasons uh, they're environmentally sound and all those good things. Um, you know, just finding someone can be a challenge. So we sort of started looking at that issue um, as, as one that we wanted to take up. So cool. So you loved history you kind of found that there was this missing part and then you're now running an apprenticeship program. Is that true? Yeah. So preservation Maryland 
through this campaign for historic trades, which I should back up and explain, is yeah, a right. partnership between us and the National Park Service. So the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center is in Frederick, Maryland, and it's in our backyard. And we began conversations prior to the pandemic about how we could work together better. Um, some of those initial results were we were going to start recruiting people, which we still do. Um, for some of their training programs, which some of your listeners may be interested in. Um, but when the pandemic hit, then we started looking at like, what are the systemic barriers? What is preventing us from scaling this? And one of those is there, there is no registered apprenticeship for program for historic trades. Um, so for the trades that are necessary to do this kind of work, like window restoration, things like that. And the pandemic actually gave us a pause to be able to go after creating these kinds of programs. And so just last year, we culminated almost like a two or three year process of establishing a registered apprenticeship program with the Maryland Department of Labor. Um, the goal is then to take that national as well. Um, but that program will, um, you know, it, it establishes guidelines for um, apprenticeships in three different areas under a broad heading. Um, it establishes a preservation carpentry um, apprenticeship. It establishes a deconstruction apprenticeship. Um, and then it establishes a historic window technician apprenticeship. So there's sort of three different pathways um, and all of them viable, all with a lot of um, potential to earn a, you know, a, a, a good, good living, um, build a career um, and involve yourself in some pretty cool projects. What's your favorite project so far that you've kind of been a part of? That I've been a part or of? Or kind of explore? Yeah. So Preservation Maryland, um, in the past couple of years, I mean, we, we work on a lot of different projects around the state um, with a lot of different partners. We're engaged in projects with the Maryland Park Service. We're engaged in projects with different municipalities, um, Howard County, City of Annapolis, uh, City of Brunswick, a um, whole host of different partners. Um, but one that we did um, in partnership with some local groups in Hagerstown was the rehabilitation of a historic log structure that required all these different skill sets um, that we're, we're discussing here. Um, and um, that one was interesting and, and fascinating because we knew it was old when we got into it. And like a lot of these projects, they're sort of a mystery. That's kind of the fun of being involved in them is that you're sort of part um, detective and kind of pulling things apart. Um, it's a different approach to construction trades work, whereas sometimes in the modern commercial trades, it's it's not about just as how fast you can go, but there is a, a big component of getting it done quickly. Um, whereas in the historic trades, there's that piece, but then there's also the component of um, working with the original fabric, not trying to remove as much. So there's sort of a different philosophy to the work. Um, and in this project, we knew, as I said, that it was old, but um, we engaged in something called dendrochronology, which is where you actually take a core sample out of the log, and then you're able to match that against a master core sample um, for different watersheds. And you're able to narrow down when that tree was cut down, when it was felled is the word. And um, we, we determined that the logs used in the construction of that cabin in Hagerstown were felled in the winter of 1739. So it's precise enough to know not only the year, but also the season. And it tells you the watershed that it came down in. So it came down in the Conococheague Creek watershed in the winter of 1739. 
The logs then were disassembled, so they were deconstructed, like we I mentioned, and then they were reassembled in the 1830s. So about a hundred years later, they were reassembled, um, in the in the current form that they're in right now. So that was a pretty cool project. Um, we turned that into housing, um, and actually a documentary just came out about that that is being released um, nationally um, about that project and the impact it's having on the community that it was in. But um, that was a pretty cool one that we were involved in and that people listening who are interested in this kind of work could take a look at and get a taste for um, the kinds of projects that you could potentially be engaged in. I think it's really the coolest thing to be able to use your hands and work, but also be so interested in the historical, the preservation, obviously, part and learning the story kind of backwards. Whereas we often think of construction as building up, we're sort of building through in a way. I think that's really, really exciting. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what deconstruction looks like in this form? Because that's not really something that we think about in the commercial construction space, right? Right. So um, deconstruction is a, a tool and a, a, a um, capacity that is important in historic preservation um, for a variety of different reasons. Sometimes in a project, even when you're rehabilitating something, you need to take a piece of the building apart in order to fix it. So understanding how buildings are put together is actually how you understand how they come apart um, and to safely do it. I think we've all seen like um, at, at least of us, I don't know what my algorithm is, but sometimes I get these like image the videos of like people doing terrible things on construction jobs and like, um, you know, trying to knock out a wall and then it falls on them or something like that. Like you want to, obviously a big part of registered apprenticeships is to be is safety. Um, and so making sure you know how to safely deconstruct a building is important as well. Um, but knowing how the building comes together allows you to know how it comes apart. And so sometimes you need that in a project, like I say, where um, maybe you need to rebuild a feature because whatever is there is uh, has been, you know, is is rotten or has fallen apart or is just not structurally sound anymore. Mm. Then there's also situations where we just can't save every building. Uh, and we know that. And so what ends up happening in those situations is you actually deconstruct the building all the way down to its foundation. And then if you do it correctly, you can use that material in other projects. So you see this a lot where people are like, oh, I have this reclaimed, you know, the, the word is reclaimed is like the cool word that we use for it now, but like a reclaimed wood floor, I have a reclaimed dining room table, I have these bricks that, you know, came out of something and now they're in my basement and, you know, whatever. Um, and that material, instead of going to the landfill, is now being reused either in constructing something new. Sometimes a historic, another preservation project needs it, right? So it's like we need timber of this vintage, um, you know. And we even looked at that in that cabin project that I mentioned. Sometimes we had to make a decision about whether or not we were going to use reclaimed timber for some of the timber that needed to be replaced, or we were going to use new. And there's a variety of different reasons why you would use either, but having that capacity to do it is dependent on somebody deconstructing uh, and deconstructing in a safe and correct way. There's also hazardous materials you need to be dealing with because there's potential for asbestos, there's potential for a high potential for lead. Um, and these are all things that can be dealt with, but have to be dealt with safely. And that's part of the apprenticeship program um, that somebody would go through um, to do deconstruction. So when someone's 
interested in entering your apprenticeship program, I guess backtrack a little bit, what would make someone interested in this field, right? Maybe they know that they love to work with their hands. Mm -hmm. um, they love history. What kind of other things are you looking for when you're thinking about what types of people may want to grow up and be this? Yeah, I mean, I think an appreciation for history is going to help. Um, but I think that one of the cool things about the historic trades that we find is that um, it is, in some aspects, there is an overlap between artistry and construction. Um, so the the work of, you know, doing, uh, reglazing a, a historic wood window, I, I won't say it's, it's like the work of a master, but there is an artistry associated with it, right? Like, so... Um, it is not just, you know, you snap this piece in and then you're done with it. Like, you know, the grain of the window is going to be a little different every time. There's going to be some differences associated with how you do this work every time. And so I think that um, having an appreciation for that and a willingness to approach every project, because every project is going to be a little bit unique. Um, I always laugh because like I have a historic home and it's like every time we do a project, you know, you want to jump on YouTube and find out how it's going to work. And like, it never works for me because um, there's always some unique little quirk that, um, you know, is is not captured in that um, minute 30 YouTube video. And that's the, re the reality of, of working on a historic structure. So I think having a willingness to approach everything um, with that sort of frame of mind, the philosophy of, or the interest in, you know, working with unique materials and kind of approaching it from this perspective of we're trying to save as much of it as we possibly can, which is is unique. Um, and, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, obviously an interest in the trades and working with your hands. Um, I think it's sort of like perfect for somebody who likes historic places or likes history, but doesn't want to end up being a historian, doesn't want to end up working in an office. Um, wants to work with their hands, this is like a great way to bridge those two interests um, and get out and and make a difference in, you know, sometimes places that are really critically important to the history of the country. Right. And we always talk about how construction as an industry is always affecting the world, right? There's no way to live in our entire world, let alone our nation without the use of construction, without the trades. But then you think even further, how cool it is that we're sort of deconstructing, reconstructing, helping way before we exist now. And so that I think the historic trades and um, preservation is so, I am so personally excited by it just because of that. It's so much longer form. We're both forward in the future, which we all think about when we think about construction, technology, all of that we're also working backwards a little bit, which I think is really cool. Yeah. And, it, you know, I think one of the other things, too, that let's say you're, you're just not super jazzed about history, but one of the things about historic preservation that is unique and that I think excites a lot of younger people is that it is the, it is the greenest um, building um, that we have, is, is the, it's been said, is the one that's already standing. But not only that, it... it there are some of the more sustainable um, building approaches are the historic ones. Um, you know, nowadays, not to cast aspersions on on sort of modern building um, techniques, but there's a lot of plastic, there's a lot of waste. Um, and the construction industry is aware of that and is trying to address that. 
but the carbon impact of a new building is really high compared to reusing an older one. And so for those who are interested in sort of green building styles and approaches, um, you know, getting involved in preservation and reusing buildings is, is a component of that. The whole idea of deconstruction, it comes from this, this concept of the circular economy where nothing is wasted and we shouldn't be dumping things in landfills. And, you know, construction waste in many communities in many states is the largest single driver of municipal waste. And so diverting that from the the waste stream is really important um, and is not only a, a, a climate issue, but is also just an issue of sort of the nuts and bolts of municipal waste, which is not terribly exciting stuff, but is important for a lot of different communities. So there's a lot of different aspects and a lot of different ways to approach this and a lot of different reasons people would be interested in it. And the other one that we should mention is that it tends to be very well paid work. Um, people who work in historic trades, um, just because they're in high demand, um, end up making more than people in associated trades. Um, and, you know, some of that is that there's an upskilling associated with it. There's um, different skills. And then there's just not as many people doing it. Um, you know, there are communities in Maryland where there's only a handful of people restoring historic windows. Um, and the need is profound. Um, so if you have an entrepreneurial side to you and you want to go and learn this and then start your own company, um, there is almost unlimited um, potential for creating companies to do this kind of work um, just because the amount of people who are doing it has dropped off um, considerably. And so it leaves, uh, you know, a big um, entrepreneurial opportunity for people. Do you? So our listeners and readers love numbers. Do you have any averages or anything that maybe a five-year tenured person, 10-year tenured person might make? It might be a little more niche with your- It depends, yeah, because there's so many different ways of doing this. Um, and, you know, we, you know, there, there, it depends on like with masonry, are you going to go into the union or are you not going to go? And, 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 you know, we're, um, the apprenticeship programs that we run um, are can be picked up and run by any any company. So we don't really, I shouldn't say we run the apprenticeship programs, we're the sponsor of them. Okay. And so any company, any union could pick them up and run them, um, you know, and we're fully supportive of any different type of shop uh, doing it. Um, and so there are people out there all across the spectrum um, who have the potential to um, manage apprenticeship programs through this program. Um, and um, so there's a wide range depending on what you're going to do of what you could potentially make. I will say if you go to our website, which is historictrades.org, um, you can find, you can kind of dig into some of those details in the different trades. Um, and that is a sort of a valuable resource. We did conduct a, um, uh, a, a sort of a landmark labor analysis study because one of the things that a lot of people think is like, oh, this is like, this is niche. Like there's just a handful of people doing this. In some communities, it's true. There's just a handful of people, but the need is significant. And the other thing that I think there's a misconception about is that when you talk about historic, people are like, oh, that means like Mount Vernon, you know, but there's only one Mount Vernon. How many people could possibly be doing this? But you need to think about it in terms of like the downtown Frederick Historic District, 
Now, each one of those structures individually may not have as much historic significance as, you know, use that example of like Mount Vernon or something like that, or the Maryland State House. But collectively, that district is incredibly important. And there are, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of historic windows in that district that are in varying states of preservation and decay. The other thing about talking about historic trades is you could really talk about them more as like rehabilitation trades. It's, mm. It probably doesn't make as much um, sense from a marketing perspective to call them that. But, you know, anything over probably 50 years or so at this point is is old enough that it needs a different approach to restoring or rehabilitating it or caring for it. And so really what we're talking about are trades associated with caring for existing structures. And um, that opens up, you know, the potential um, for projects to a really big uh, number of buildings across the country. Um, because we also know that the industry is sort of starting to shift towards an approach to doing more rehab versus building new. And that is borne out by the American Institute of Architects um, tracks the, the, the types of projects that architects are working on. And for the first time in their history, they're, they've crossed the threshold of like 51% of projects being rehab or work on old buildings versus new construction. So just if you're looking at like, where are the jobs going to be in the future, we can't build our way out of every problem. And um, we have to take care of some of the things that we've already built. And so these kinds of skills are transferable, whether or not you're working on, you know, a nationally significant structure, or just happen to be working on an older structure um, that needs a certain set of skills associated with uh, caring for that. Um, that labor analysis that we did that, you know, is, is on that same website, you know, it found that if you look at the trades associated with caring for a historic structure, um, we're going to need 10,000 people entering this workforce nationally every year for the next 10 years just to keep up with existing demand and to keep parity in the workforce. So there are a lot of potential jobs and, and we even had limiting, da limiting data and, and factors to kind of give us a sense for what that scale of need is. So it's probably even bigger than that. And when you think about that's 10,000 people that we need in the workforce and not every person who enters an apprenticeship program or a training program is going to make it all the way through. So we need, you know, tens of thousands beyond that really even just entering this. So for someone listening who's like, will there be jobs at the end of this? You know, the answer is, is, is yes. Awesome. So how does someone get into your apprenticeship program or how does that work? Right. So again, we sponsor a program, so they really would go, through a private employer who um, is doing an apprenticeship. Um, but that said, if there's someone listening who's young who would like wants to experience this, um, we actually are currently recruiting and you can go to, again, historictrades.org and you can find out about all these different opportunities that are currently open. But there is um, a current opportunity that we partner with the National Park Service on where there are paid um, training experiences in the national parks. They vary in length from like a summer to even longer, um, but they are paid experiences. They're here in Maryland and actually all across the country. Um, and um, 
they, you know, vary widely depending on what type of project you're working on. It could be, you know, sort of an entry to masonry or it could be carpentry or it could be windows or a variety of different experiences. Um, but that experience, um, not only does it come with pay, but it comes with sort of the beginning of uh, an introduction to this apprenticeship, sort of pre-apprenticeship model. Um, and I think one of the valuable things is it gives you a chance to test drive something and see if you like it before you fully commit to it. Um, if you are interested in it, then after that, um, the experience oftentimes comes with um, a non-competitive um, hiring status with the federal government. So you could go into the trades with through the federal government because the National Park Service and others have trades teams that do some of their work internally. Um, or uh, there are a number of um, uh, trades companies that would be eager to hire you with that kind of experience. Because what a lot of companies are looking for, for you to then go through an apprenticeship program or, you know, to jump into union work or whatever it might be, is uh, they don't want a polished, perfect person who knows everything about that particular trade. That's unreasonable to expect. They want somebody who maybe has basic um, safety you know, uh, experience and certifications, which these kinds of experiences would give you. Um, they want somebody who knows maybe basic shop math, um, just, you know, how to do sort of the, the you know, how to use a construction ruler and all those sorts of things uh, in the field. And just um, somebody who's willing to show up and, and be there on time. A lot of these, um, you know, trades uh, show up pretty early. Um, and so that can be sort of a barrier sometimes too. But um, somebody who has that experience and who has done all those things and checked those boxes, um, you're going to be um, in in hot demand with with whatever kind of trade you want to end up doing. And so this is a fun way of doing that and and a good um, sort of entree and an opportunity to um, see if you enjoy this kind of work. Um, it is right now. It is um, for young adults, um, so eighteen. Uh, to 30 um, in most cases. Um, and all the details, again, are over on that website. And you can find that we have a full-time recruiter on staff who works to kind of help identify opportunities if people want to reach out. Um, all their information is there as well. Um, and then there's also other training programs. So for some reason, there's not one in your backyard. We do keep a list of resources of different programs and training opportunities. There are community colleges across the country that do this kind of work. Um, and, you know, as I said, our apprenticeship program that we sponsor just got launched. So we're just now working with partners to kind of get it up and running. Um, but these uh, paid experiences, particularly with the National Park Service, are a really great opportunity, uh, particularly for listeners of this, because it happens to be headquartered here in Maryland. So there are abundance of opportunities here in the state. Maryland's it's a great state to be a builder, a builder of of old or new or whatever. I think there's right. so much cool stuff happening here. Um, what other, so you said downtown Frederick, what are some other cities or places that Marylanders could go check out to just see what historic architecture or building looks like? Oh, sure. Well, I mean, it, no matter where you live in the state, you're probably not 10 or 15 minutes away from a large collection of historic structures. If you're on the Eastern shore, there are a whole host of beautiful historic communities up and down the shore. Um, and if you go to them, you'll see buildings in, in various states of preservation, beautifully preserved. And then those that need a lot of love that 
you could be in uh, the business of providing uh, if you got into this kind of work. Um, so from you know Salisbury to Cambridge to Easton to beautifully restored Chestertown, um, those are all amazing places. Um, and then over on the Western shore, um, obviously places like Annapolis, I mean, Baltimore has more historic structures um, on the National Register of Historic Places, perhaps than any other city in America. I mean, there are just numerous neighborhoods filled with historic architecture. Um, you could spend a lifetime and probably not see all of them there. Um, and then, you know, there are, it doesn't have to be large communities as well. There are places like Carroll County that are dotted with historic structures uh, across their agricultural landscape. I'm thinking of mills and um, farmhouses and barns, which people love. And that's a whole other set skill set um, of maintaining and caring for those things. Um, and, you know, as you move further west, of course, you have Frederick and then down into Montgomery County, you not only have the agricultural reserve filled with agricultural structures, but then as you get into communities like Rockville and Silver Spring, you have 18th, 19th, 20th century structures all the way up to modernist structures of the 1960s that are really fascinating. Um, and have been heavily documented in places like Prince George's in Montgomery County. And then, you know, obviously further, the further west you go, places like Cumberland, um, and there are huge opportunities in communities like Williamsport and um, Brunswick along the CNO Canal and the Potomac River and the Potomac River uh, Valley um, that uh, have huge opportunities for preservation. And, and all of these places probably could use more companies and more workers doing this kind of work. Because one of the reasons I tell you that is not only the objective, the studies and the analyses that we've done, but is the subjective. People call us all the time saying, who do I hire to do this? I need someone. And sometimes there's only like one person and they're backed up for like two years, um, particularly when it comes to things like windows. Um, you know, there are we didn't really even talk about roofing, but there are some phenomenal um, historic roofing companies in Maryland that are always hiring, looking for people who want to get into this kind of work, doing things like slate and copper um, that are pretty unique um, and are not commercially widely available anymore. So you kind of have to find somebody who really knows their work and is training to that. Um, so there are just a, a number of opportunities. And I think as people kind of are a little bit more aware of what they're driving by, they'll notice some of these things. Um, notice what kind of window it is. Is it a historic wood window um, and how it's put together? Um, are you seeing a, a slate roof versus sort of a modern asphalt shingle? Um, are you seeing wood siding um, and, you know, versus a vinyl? Um, as you become more aware of those things, you'll see it all around you and you'll see the, the canvas upon which you could work. I think that's so cool. So first step is look in your backyard, check out historical things, go mm -hmm. to the little towns. Um, second step is to hit up historictrades.org, follow you on social media. What do you have um, social media? Yeah, yeah. You can go to Preservation Maryland or you can go to the Campaign for Historic Trades. And the campaign is on um, Facebook <laughs> and Instagram. Awesome. And then you have a podcast, right? Yeah, we do. So we have PreserveCast. Um, we've done a bunch of different interviews with tradespeople. So if you go to PreserveCast.org or look for PreserveCast wherever you down a download a podcast, um, that uh, we have a whole host of different trades-related podcasts that we've done with different tradespeople. So we've interviewed we've had a trades takeover where we talk to women in the trades and we talk about sort of how um, the 
the woman who runs our historic trades program, our director of historic trades, her name's Natalie Henshaw. She came from a background in working in window preservation, um, which happens to be an area um, that um, a lot of women find really sort of their calling and, and, and work in. And it's a great, great sort of entree into the trades. Um, it, is, it does happen to be one of those places where there's an interesting overlap, as we said, between trades and artistry. Um, and so she's done a whole series of podcasts with different women in the trades that she's worked alongside um, and talked to them about sort of their entry. So you can kind of learn people's stories. Um, yeah. And we've also done a whole series of interviews um, with different um, the different trades associated with restoring Maryland state capital. So you can hear from because we didn't really talk about it, but there are people who do um, focus just purely on historic paint um, because there are different paints that were used. Um, and Maryland State House was just repainted with a linseed oil based paint, um, which is what was being used historically. Um, obviously, doesn't have lead in it anymore. They put titanium in it now, um, but it is a um, a more um, breathable um, type paint. The paint that we use now is latex, and so it basically has a, a plastic barrier in it. And sometimes historic wood and historic materials need to breathe. They were designed to breathe a little bit more. Um, and so we talked to those folks who did that work. Um, we talked to the people doing sort of the, the work on the masonry and particularly the, the carpentry up there. And then we talked to the roofers um, because the Maryland State House, the very top of it is actually slate. Um, and so we talked to them about what that looked like. They actually had to build like a scaled down model on the ground to figure out exactly how they were going to do it correctly and make sure that it stood the test of time because that thing is battered not only by wind, but by, you know, brackish air and all the, all these different elements hitting it. Um, and, um, and it's a phenomenally important structure and it's way up high. So you have to be really careful about how you do that as well. So we've done a lot of different interviews. So if you're interested in just sort of beyond my rambling about why trades matter, you can actually listen to real tradespeople um, from a wide variety of backgrounds um, and experiences and hear from them. We've also talked to some deconstruction folks, so you can learn more about what that looks like. We've talked to people who just do windows, um, so um, you can dig into that. And then we also have a whole bunch of other uh, non-trades uh, related interviews that we've done. We've done over 300 interviews um, with everything from you know mudlarking, which is finding things on the foreshore of the River Thames, um, to drone analysis of historic places. So uh, we've covered a lot of ground. Really, really cool. Well, I am so grateful to have had you here, Nick. Thank you so, so much. Uh, again, y'all, definitely check out historictrades.org, preservecast.org, uh, and obviously buildyourpath.com. So thank you all so much. Have a great day. Build your path. Let's dig in. <laughs>